Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Paul, we've been affectionately referring to you as the shack man around the place, (laughs) but there's there's probably more than that to you. Um, Just just getting us started, who's Paul Young? Oh, boy. Yeah, I've been called a lot of other things too, but uh, um, who is Paul Young? Paul Young is is a child um, who finally uh, knows the love of the Father. Uh, Paul Young is kind and generous and pure of heart. And Paul Young is patient, furious at the things that hurts the ones that he loves. Paul Young is a, is a, is a child who has learned to live inside the grace of one day again. And um, that's the truth of who I am. And all I'm doing is telling you elements of the character and nature of God. And we're made in the image and the likeness of God. And so the truth of our being at the deepest core is the things that I've told you. All of those things are true about you, whether you acknowledge it or even know it. Shame covers up your ability to know the truth of your being. But once you begin to see the truth of your being, the way of your being will match it. When we've been told by theology that the truth of our being is that we're a piece of crap, we're worthless, we're totally depraved, We have no place to build from. You cannot build anything that lasts from shame. You cannot do it. It is is shifting sand. There will always be an accusation that sits on your shoulder and says you're not enough. And so the first response to that question is to tell you the truest parts of who I am. And then I can tell you I'm a missionary kid, preacher's kid, I grew up in the modern evangelical fundamentalist holiness movement. So the people who are mad at me are all my people, right? So be careful how you talk about them. And, um, but, you know, I, uh, I'm married to Kim who saved my life and paid a high price for it. Um, we have six children, four of whom are married. And from the four, we already have 12 grandchildren who are 10 years old and under. I live in the Pacific Northwest. In the wastefulness of grace, which was a little phrase that, that was coined that so fits. You know, it's kind of like you look at the universe and you, th- and you think there are billions and billions and billions of galaxies out there with billions of stars. And, and we won't see them. Not yet. <laughs> and it's kind of like that's a waste. But no, that's a God who is so frivolous as to make something magnificent. And grace is like that. It always shows up, and when you think you've run out, there's always more. There's another galaxy. There's another billion galaxies of grace. And um, so, you know, I'm a person who had finally, at 50 years old, come to a deep sense of being comfortable inside my own skin. 50 years to wipe the face of my father off the face of God. 50 years to finally become a child. Um, got a lot of brokenness in my childhood that prevented me from being a child when I was little. And, um, but 50 years in, finally, get to be the child. And, um, and it's so cool, I'm not going back to being an adult. It's, that's way too much work. And, you know, so and if you're around a bunch of adults, it's like, why would I want to be one of those, you know? You know, they're having no fun at all, you know? 
And, um, and so, um, and I was, I was fine working three jobs and, you know, cleaning toilets and shipping out soldering tips and working in a food processing hotline. And um, finally felt healthy enough to write a little story for my kids for Christmas because I had nothing else to give them that year. And on the train to one of my jobs, I wrote, mostly on the train, I wrote a little book that made 15 copies at Office Depot in Gresham, Oregon. And uh, those 15 copies did everything I ever wanted that book to do. Had no bucket list concept, no sense of calling or destiny about being a published author. And God has a great sense of humor. So (laughs) here I am, you know. <laughs> Talk about God's grace from 15 to where's it at now? 30? No, no, no. It's only like over a little over 23 million. 23 million. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Scratch the other. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, you know what's crazy about that is that that's just a number. It doesn't even make any sense to me. <laughs> After 15, it's like, what? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Talking about the, the theological elephant in the, in the, in the room, because the irony is that you know, it's almost as if that I see within people within our own camp somehow want to park the shack next to Wayne Grudem's systematic theology and somehow spend inordinate amounts of time critiquing the theology of the shack. And, and I welcome that, frankly. <laughs> um, people ask me if this is a, a true story, and I tell them, yes, you know, it's just not real. And, uh, but all parables are true, right? They're, all parables are true, and they're just not real. And, um, um, and I love the accusation that, it's, that they're trying to find or deal with the theology because it is a highly theological book. Uh, if you've read Baxter Kruger's The Shack Revisited, you know that it's theology. In fact, I'm standing on the shoulders of uh, Irenaeus and, and Athanasius and Hillary and the early church mothers and fathers. And uh, so it's, it is theology, um, but it's wrapped into story. And story has a way of sneaking past our watchful dragons. You know, we are so mind-oriented and our hearts are so broken that the shack caught people by surprise, even my people, right? It, it penetrated their heart. And they, they had this, could God be this good? And then their heads engaged and they said no. You know? and, and the conflict is between the heart and the head. So when people are upset about this and, and run to their theological um, ivory towers, and I love theology, don't get me wrong, um, but they run there to find a defense because they don't want to deal with the brokenness of their own heart. Um, and that's, and frankly, that's where I ran in my brokenness was to my intellectuality and all that, um, so that I didn't have to deal with a broken heart. But it is, it is theology to the core, and yet it wraps itself into story, which is like it's a parable, is what it is. But underlying the parable uh, is is a lot of years of deep and hard work on my part to come to a theology that allowed my head and my heart to merge so that I became one person instead of a split person. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. yeah. And so the, the shack, the shack itself, that place in the book, of course, as you said, it's, it's, it's true, it's not real. Um, the truth of it, of it was that it, it represented a very difficult place for you in your life. 
Yeah. Can you tell us about that? So the shack is the place. It's for me. You know, you can read the book just as a story, and then you can start getting into the layers. And one of the layers is that the shack represents um, my heart, my soul, and uh, it's the house on the inside that people helped us build. And I love hearing when someone talks about being raised in an environment in a family that was affirming and encouraging and loving. Um, that to me is like, how wonderful is that? It was not my experience. I had a, a father who was a furious man. And, um, and I didn't know his damage. I, I just knew that he represented God to me. And so, and he was terrifying. Um, and... Um, so he deconstructed what should have been part of a healthy house on the inside. And then sexual abuse started for me in the tribal culture that I was raised in before I was five. And, and, it, and it was a lot. And by the time I was six and sent to boarding school, um, I was already really broken. And then at six, in Christian missionary boarding school, the first nights the big boys came and they molested the little boys. And so there is nothing that devastates the house on the inside that I know of, like sexual abuse. It just rips apart the very fabric. It destroys any sense of boundaries. And suddenly you are, are left wondering if you have any value whatsoever. And um, my response to all that was to become a performer. You know? And so uh, the house on the inside is where then I stored all my secrets. I... Uh, that's where I kept all my lies and all my addictions were in the house on the inside. And I did not want to invite anybody in there because I was terrified that I would see reflected on their faces if they knew the disgust that I saw in the mirror. And so I, I learned to create a facade. I drug some timbers out from the shack, built this facade that I could paint as fast as I could pick up people's expectations. And I learned to live from the outside in rather than from the inside out because I had nothing on the inside to live from. And I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to uh, be, be fake. That wasn't the intent. I wasn't trying to fool people. But the shame constantly said, that's all you're doing. I was hoping that if I could just perfect my performance, then I, I might become a real boy. I might become a whole person. And, um, but then, you know, you have this thin layer of perfectionist performance that covers up an ocean of shame. And as soon as something begins to penetrate down into that, you hear God call you somewhere else. <laughs> you know, you go and start over somewhere else until you can't hold that together either. Because your addictions are still at work and, and your secrets are still poisoning your, your heart and your life. And, um, and yet you're trying to create this presentation and this persona that's acceptable to the world and to God. And it just, you know, it's exhausting. And at some point, it doesn't work anymore. Um, and then you have to make a choice about whether, whether you're going to try again or just, or just quit. And, um, and so there were times where I walked the edge of suicide as, as a way out. Um, and, um, and so I know that place quite well. Um, but, um, you know, I'm an adapter. I'm a missionary kid. I can adapt to culture. And so I, I would find a way to adapt. And uh, the grace of God um, 
is that I, I married someone who is much more whole than I am. And, um, and I married the wrath of God. <laughs> you know, Kim is not a meek, mild, submitted Christian woman. <laughs> she, she and her five sisters are called the force. And, uh, you know, but I now believe that the wrath of God is the love of God. To use George MacDonald's language, this is not a God who will stand idly by while anything that is not of love's kind remains in me. And, um, and Kim is a force. And so um, that's why I say, you know, I carried all this baggage into our marriage and, and fooled her. I fooled her and I fooled her mom. And both of them have really good crap detectors. You would think they were millennials, you know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's what I did. I drug it into the marriage and kept it all hidden until I blew up the world. And when I blew up the world... I had to face, I either had to kill myself or face the wrath of God, and I chose to face Kim. And, um, and, uh, and that love just burned my world um, and t- for about 11 years. It took 11 years for Kim and I to heal. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that's another part of the story, yeah. And so those big issues, shame, abuse blown up a marriage, um, enter this movie, The Heart of Man, which seems to, as we've seen, have just brought the reality and the power and the shock factor of those issues up so so at us. Um, having seen the movie with some of our leadership, um, it was just, it's profound, and you've got to go and see it, and we'll give you details about all of that. But um, you, you would have been travelling around the States, and you're travelling around the, the country now, as, as I guess we're seeing your linkage now in, into the film with your story, and then the film story about God's heart for the prodigal, for the runaways. Um, what, what key thing, things, themes coming out of the movie are you seeing, sensing, is resonating with, with people that you're talking to, and, and, and why? Oh, um, on so many different levels, because... And the movie is not just for the heart of the prodigal. It's also for the heart of the older brother. And you, you don't see this unless you're looking for it. But throughout the film, there's an empty space. There's an empty space at the table. There's, an empty, uh, there's a stool where they're playing out on the top of the uh, mountain, the cliff area. You'll see an extra stool and an extra violin set. It, the presence of the older brother is by his absence. You know, and but you'll see the father look to that empty space, looking for the older brother. But so that's another through line that goes through here. Um, some of the things that are resonating so deeply is is the issue of shame, the issue of uh, the ability to choose to say no to love, or to resist love. I have a friend who defines sin that way. Sin is a resistance to love, and I love that definition. And um, um, but here we are talking about uh, sexuality, which has been a, uh, uh, you don't talk about that for so many years. You don't talk about addiction. You don't talk about pornography. You don't talk about all these different elements. And frankly, that inability to have that conversation has, has driven us to a place where we become less than human. This is part of our humanity, and it's grounded in the very being of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even the language of knowing, this is eternal life that you know. Well, that same language is used of face-to-face intimacy. 
And so there is this dominance. One of the things that we have to realize is that human sexuality must be incredibly and profoundly beautiful because it has the power to do such devastation. And uh, to the degree that you have something that is so potent in, in destroying and wreaking havoc in people's lives, it must be something unbelievably and, and a beautiful, too beautiful for words. And yet we're not even allowed to talk about that, not in the church that I grew up in. You know, the, the, the name for God is El Shaddai. You know, Shad is the Hebrew word for breasts, you know, but we couldn't even say the many-breasted one, you know. It's probably a Baptist translator, you know. If you say the word breast, you're going to sin, you know. And it's, so he came up with Lord of Hosts or something, you know. So, I mean, that's how shut down we are. And it's kind of like, now what? We're back into an environment where we have to perform. I cannot tell anybody my secrets. Because and and we are as the sick we are sick as the secrets we keep, and the unexposed is the unhealed, and we want God to climb in there and through some kind of magic fix us, when the reality is we're made in the image of a God who's never been alone, and and the journey toward wholeness is going to be inside relationship. You're going to be pushed by the Holy Spirit toward relationship, and um, because that's the deepest truth about God, and that's what we were so terrified of, especially in a religious environment where our performance is judged and sin is defined behaviorally instead of in terms of our actual being and our origin. So, you know, the movie is, uh, it's beautifully shot, you know. It's not cringy Christian. Yeah, you know what I mean? Ugh, you know? Yeah. It's hard for us to even write a decent love song, right? I mean, but, but what can you do when your vocabulary is only 250 words? Uh, uh, don't get me going on that. But, um, but again, it's, it doesn't have the cringe factor in it. Um, and if you've seen the Shaq movie, it doesn't have the cringe factor in it either. You, you know, you're sitting there waiting for the, you know, for the agenda and the propaganda to drop, and it just doesn't. And it doesn't in this either. And as a result, suddenly you're being impacted in very deep places in your own heart, not just about human sexuality, but about anything that causes your face to turn away from the beauty of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that could be, could be sexuality, but it could be food or power or um, gossip or whatever, you know? And, it, and it's not a, a male... The reason that they changed the name from the heart of a man to the heart of man is for mankind... You know, and so this is a, a conversation for all of us to enter into. Um, and so that's, you know, that's part of the power of this. Picking up that, on that word exposure that you use there, I love um, one, of, one of your quotes that I think we saw on the trailer there said, uh, one day I figured out how messed up I was and so I went and got help. And he went, no, <laughs> you know, some of us are too broken to even think that far outside of ourselves. So some of us have to get caught out in one way or another. And that is a great and terrifying grace. Terrifying it, grace. A great and, you know, the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of resistance to love, sin, right? The word convict in the Greek is to expose. God doesn't expose us to humiliate us. You know, the, the old G-O-D I grew up with absolutely exposed you to humiliate you. 
you know, it was like to say, yes, you are a piece of crap. But the God I've come to know never exposes a human heart to humiliate them. He exposes it to heal them. Without exposure, without coming out of our secrets, you are not going to be able to participate in the healing journey that, that draws you toward wholeness. The problem is that the Holy Spirit's already at work in your heart to push you in the direction of authenticity. There's not one person in this room who doesn't want to be an authentic human being, who doesn't want to be free, who doesn't want to be without anxiety and worry and depression. You know, we all are driven by the Holy Spirit toward relationship, toward openness. But so many of us have been so hurt by relationships in our history that it, it, it becomes a huge risk. And, and the issue of trust becomes front and center. You know, we love religion because you don't actually have to trust God, right? You know, all you have to know is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, but this is about trust. This is about an actual relationship. This is about letting go of certainty. And because uh, that's what happens in relationship. I don't know if you've noticed. But you enter a relationship, you lose control, and you enter a mystery. <laughs> yeah, ask any married man in the room. And, um, and it's an ongoing, expanding mystery. It's a beautiful thing. So exposure is, is necessary. And what I said in the and what's the story behind what I said is that some of us are so broken that we, we, we just don't have it within us. Um, uh, the better story would have been Paul finally realized how messed up he was, so he's, he went and got help. And that's not true. I, I couldn't take that step. And it was the exposure. I was in a, what Kim caught me in was a three-month affair with one of her best friends. And that blew up the world. And at that point, I had to decide to face her or kill myself. But that exposure destroyed my facade. It destroyed my ability to hide. And I had to make the choice, I am done with secrets. Done. Right? Finished. And um, the first conversation I had with Kim, um, when I drove into my office, which she had physically dismantled, by the way. And uh, she lights into me, and for about four hours, it's a monologue, you know? And um, when she finally catches her breath, I say to her, Kim, if we're going to do this, I need to tell you every secret I have because secrets have been absolutely killing me my whole life. And it, I mean, and it says it in the film, you'll see, she naively says, bring it on. But it doesn't say, it took me four days to tell Kim everything that she didn't know. And, I, and she wanted to know every detail about everything. And I told her everything. I hit the bottom. I hit the bottom. And, and I turned my face into the fury. Her dad lived with us for 17 years. He was living with us, and now I had hurt something that was most precious to him. And contrary to my father, who was a violent disciplinarian, he never raised his voice against me. I had no defenses for that, right? For those of us who have been abused, we have defenses. We know how to disassociate and disappear. We know how to deal with fury. 
but we don't know how to deal with love and kindness and generosity of heart. And those things suddenly expose the depths of the shame that you feel. And that's the season of my life when I learned I could not live except inside the grace of one day, sometimes one hour, but never more than one day. And that's never changed for me. I now live inside the grace of one day. And I think that's how we're all designed to. You know, that's where children live. And that's where I live. Yeah. A few weeks back, um, we were preaching on sexuality, ironically, for the first time in what feels like forever here. So the timing of, I think, then the next week we had the opportunity for you to be here. And, and within that message there, I'd said that you know, sexual sin, uh, wandering from God's plan for sexuality, you know, can almost burn into our souls like when you leave the computer screen on too long. You know, you can keep living and the picture changes, but there's always a shadow of this there. Uh, and then we hear you say in the movie, you know, when the prodigal finally hits the bottom, something can grow. Yeah. Nothing so dead that God can't grow something living, you know. Yeah, that comes out of a conversation um, 13 years after I blew up the world. And it took Kim and I 11 years to heal. And frankly, when I told her everything, she said, I will never believe another word that comes out of your mouth the rest of your life. And I believed her. And so I went to therapy on my own, not to fix the marriage because that was blown up. I went to... Um, I began to do the work and, and she didn't believe one thing that changed and that was okay because I couldn't fix her. I couldn't even fix myself, right? So I didn't go to therapy in order to fix the marriage. I went there to find a way to change, to ask the question, what happened to me and why am I so broken? And, um, that 11-year dismantling and rebuilding process that ended up with a restoration, not a restoration of our marriage, the creation of a new relationship that is now our marriage. Yeah? Because I couldn't go fix. It's not like I can go back to what was. That's gone, thankfully. Because it was just a mask of, you know, because I didn't know how to love back then. I didn't. I knew how to read the books. I'm smart enough, yeah? So I knew how to act like it. And I wanted to. But love has to come from the heart as well as the head. And, I, and my heart was too broken. So I had to try to do it from my head. And, and after my, the year I turned 50... The year I finally felt, oh my gosh, I'm like a healthy human being. You know, I don't have any secrets. I don't have any addictions. I'm the same person in every situation. Like, how, how is that even possible? And there'd been this winding work over the 11 years. And we're sitting in a circle of friends and, uh, who all knew my story. I ne- we never made my adultery the new secret, you know, done. And that meant I had to deal with the fury of her family, the fury. I mean, she's got a huge family. And, um, and the community and, uh, you know, um, seeing the disappointment. I mean, it took me almost a year to be able to look someone I knew in the face. It was a hard time. And um, so here we are sitting in a circle. And Kim says, I never thought, I, she starts it with, 
people would come to say to me and they would say, you need to get past this. And she would say, she said, and I would say to them, you don't know me. And she says, I never thought I would ever say this in my life. It was all worth it. Now, she is not justifying adultery. She's not saying the ends justify the means. The ends never justify the means. She is saying, look at the redeeming genius of God. There is nothing that is so broken that God can't fix it. There is nothing so lost that God doesn't know where it is. And there is nothing so dead that he can't grow something in it. It was all worth it. And she was saying, he is worth it. Um, Maria Shriver just did an interview with Oprah for Super Soul. And I was watching it, a little bit of it last night. And I met her. I did an interview with her for the Today Show. And we went for a walk. And you know, if you know anything about her, she was highly betrayed in her marriage. And she turns to me at one point and she says, Does Kim trust you? And I said, absolutely, and she has every reason to. That journey of the dismantling of who I thought I was and who God was and the rebuilding on truth, opposing the lies that have been buried in me since I was a child had been, had been ground into me by my father's fury and by the abuse um, has, has allowed me to get to the place where I can tell you that Kim's trust in me is absolutely real. And she has every reason to trust me. It's the truth. The way of my being now matches the truth of my being. That's called wholeness. Wholeness is when the way of your being matches the truth of your being. So the big question is, what is the truth of your being? And it's taken all these years for the Holy Spirit to rise up inside of me and clean the lenses of my blind eyes so that I could see that the truth of my being is I was a very good creation before I was broken. Right? The process of transformation is not you becoming something you weren't before. That's transaction and performance. The process of transformation is uncovering the truth of who you've been the whole time. That's why I can look you in the face and I can tell you the truth of your being. You are patient. Nobody prays for patience in the New Testament. Do you know that? And, and we have a G-O-D. We have the mean God behind Jesus that Jesus came to save us from. You know, the one, the one who needs to judge us at the end of the day. Right? Jesus comes to protect us from that God. Right? And that, a lot of us grew up with that God. Right? And it's not true. It's not true. And the reason we won't pray for patience is because that G-O-D will put us in a vice, right? Well, I'm not praying for patience because he's going he's gonna to make me patient, right? And it's like, what kind of a God do we have? Some ogre, narcissistic, distant, unapproachable, unreachable God watching from the infinite distance of a disapproving heart? No, this is a God who runs to our darkness, climbs into it with us to be with us and to love us to the place where we move toward healing. 
The reason that they don't pray for patience in the New Testament is because they know they are patient already by nature. They're made in the image and the likeness of God. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. That's not a commodity. It's not like a jar of something up in heaven. It is the way God is. Everything that is true about God is true about you. But see, sometimes we like the prison of shame. We've gotten used to it. It gives us certainty and it gives us an excuse to act according to what we believe is the truth of our being. And it's like, what do you expect? I'm just a piece of crap, right? And it's like, no, 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 it's not true. The truth of your being is that you are kind. Then you are patient. And you go like, I'm not patient. You're lying to yourself. As a person thinks in their heart, so are they, even if what they think is a lie, right? So let me tell you, you're kind. That's the truth of your being. I had a, a street kid. I did a, a fundraiser the other night just a week ago and uh, for um, bringing street kids off the street and into an environment where they can come to wholeness. And there were a number of them there at the, at the big banquet thing. And I had one of them come up to me, big, tall, young, strapping man, young, early 20s. And I, and I don't do this normally, but it was one of those things that in the flow of what the Spirit was saying, it was like, do this. And um, so he comes up, and, I and, he, and I'm talking about identity. I'm talking about who we are and the truth of our being. And I took his hands, and I looked him in the eyes, and I said, I'm going to tell you the truth of who you are. And he just begins to sob. Because nobody's told him the truth of who he is. Right? Part of the beauty of transformation is to have a revelation about the truth of who you are. And no longer is it dependent on how other people relate to you or treat you. If you know the truth of who you are, you have a place you can build from. If you, if you think you're a piece of crap at the core of your being, all you have is cover-up. All you have is performance you know, presentation. But at the same time, the whisper will be, you are such a fraud. You are such a fraud. May the Holy Spirit open our inside eyes so that we could see that we are filled with all the fullness of God. When we sing these songs, we're not singing to a God way over there. The throne of God, the center of the Holy of Holies is you. Paul the Apostle. God set me apart from my mother's womb, but when he was pleased to reveal his son, not to me, but in me. That is Paul talking about Damascus Road. It wasn't a revelation from out there. He revealed his son in me. John 14, 20. The three things that the Holy Spirit is going to teach us. Jesus' words. I am in the Father. You are in me and I am in you. That's the gospel that has been given to us since the early church. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That, that's not some kind of a light show. This is David Kowalik who wrote On Glory. He's an Aussie, eh? And he wrote this beautiful book and defines glory as the essential nature of a person, place, or thing. Christ in you, the hope of glory, your essential nature as a human being, the truth of your being. 
And once you begin to know the truth of your being, the way of your being will naturally match it. Yeah? And I wish it was quick and easy and we got there instantly and we had extreme soul makeover. You know? I I wish it worked like that. It's process. We are too incredibly crafted and uniquely broken for quick fixes. But God will not heal you apart from your participation. He has too much respect for your dignity to do that. But he will never abandon you to it either. Your brokenness. This is the beauty that we're invited into. Doesn't your heart leap within you? Doesn't something go off? We all have a tuning fork. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when you hear something that resonates and it goes off, yes, when it gets to the head, the head goes, nope, can't be true. I know that. You know, so the head is always the last place where, you know, that's why transformation finishes up with the renewing of the mind, you know. But that's kind of where we've locked ourselves into. And it's like, no, no. This is the wholeness that has come to us in Jesus. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to make you fully human and fully alive. Listen, do you know why Jesus doesn't, doesn't sin? Why he chooses not to sin? Because he doesn't want to become less human. He chooses not to sin because he doesn't want to become less human. Do you think God has a low view of humanity, of you? God doesn't become anything that is not good. And he becomes fully human. What does that tell you about how God sees humanity? And we have cut ourselves off. Heart of man, sexuality, um, our lives generally. We've created value systems on spiritual stuff versus secular stuff. No, he's come to make us fully human and fully alive. And, and if you want to know what it looks like, you look at Jesus' life. There is a man who is fully human and fully alive. Right? Amen. Wow. <laughs> Don't you wish we could have about another four, four more hours? You know, morning tea break and four more hours. Um, I was going to ask you the question about what would you, what would you final words be to anyone here? And I, I think we've just heard them in the way that you've uh, brought them to us, Paul. Uh, brother, thank you. So, oh. so deeply honored to be here. Yeah. My whole life has led up to this conversation. <laughs> right? Seriously. Yeah. Serious. Everything I've been through, all of that, has led up to this conversation. Mm. This is inside the grace of my day. Mm. And I'm completely honored to be with you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you want to... Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.